Search and rescue personnel are often the heroes of the stories we tell. These professionals and volunteers save thousands of hikers from danger every year, relying on extensive navigation, first aid, and search tactic training. Without search and rescue, many lost and injured hikers would not be lucky enough to make it out alive. But this story features a new kind of hero. When Jeremy Humphrey set out to find a missing hiker in July of 2020, he didn't have any training or fancy rescue gear, but he had something else. Legs that could carry him for miles and miles in a day, an intimate knowledge of his local mountain range, and a voice inside him telling him that he was the right man for the job. I made a decision to survive. You're in that survival mode. The, the idea of dying wasn't in my head. I knew immediately it was the worst case scenario. I was in a fight for my life situation. Whenever you walk out on these trails, you're in their house. I'm Louisa Albanese, and you're listening to Out Alive by Backpacker. In each episode of this podcast, we'll bring you real stories of real people who survived the unsurvivable. I saw the rope zip through the rappel ring, and I couldn't do anything. Learn what went wrong, what went right, and how you can escape if the worst-case scenario happens to you. There is no way we would find anybody alive. My name is Jeremy Humphrey. I live in McCall, Idaho. I'm 41 years old. I've been a runner for 36 of my 41 years, and I also uh, direct ultra marathons here in, in McCall. So, on the day in question, uh, it was a it was a Friday. I had planned a a long run. I woke up at about seven o'clock in the morning, and my wife was already up, and she was on Facebook on her phone, and she said that the Valley County Search and Rescue and the Valley County Sheriff's Department were putting out details concerning this, this missing woman that had been hiking probably about 15 miles north of McCall. The Sheriff's Office was contacted on July 9th at 11.33 in the morning by one of Laura's friends, co-workers. And she was concerned because she had not heard from her and she was scheduled to come to work the previous day. This is Sergeant Kelly Coperi of the Valley County Sheriff's Office. This girl had been out there for, as far as we knew, almost a week with no plans of being out there that long with her dog. And she had some medical history that concerned us. We have a over 3,300 square miles and only a quarter of it is populated. The rest of it is wilderness. So it was like a needle in a haystack. Figurative speech aside, the crestline and surrounding wilderness is more like a haystack than you might think. A wildfire in 1994 devastated the area, which remains littered with fallen trees that make off-trail travel inconceivable to most. But to Jeremy Humphrey, it's just his backyard. So I just planned for a long day out uh, and just brought some extra stuff just in case I happened to, to bump into this lady. As a result of the Sheriff's Office Facebook post, a tip had come in that the missing hiker's car was parked at the Pearl Lake Trailhead. The hiker's name was Lara, and except for a dog with her, she was solo. The area is a is like a 15 or 17 mile long chain of, of mountains that goes from the end of the Pearl Creek Road down to McCall, basically. And, and the whole area is called the Crestline. 
So her car had been found at the north end of the Crestline Trail. So I called, I called into the sheriff's department as I was driving over there, and they weren't crazy about people just going and looking. Jeremy called me first thing in the morning on July 10th. So this is day two, overnight, at 725. He had told me that he had seen the Facebook post and that he was um, going to go run that day. I was guarded at first because we don't like to send citizens that we don't know have experience and all this stuff into another situation to have it become a detriment to us. I go for long runs up here. You know, I don't usually carry anything. I mean, like sometimes I don't carry a water bottle because I, I know all the places to drink. I mean, I, I, sometimes I don't carry a shirt. It's, I, I've got it, I've got this area boiled down pretty well. So, I mean, I was just doing what I would be doing anyway. I just happened to be looking for a person. After talking to Jeremy for a, literally like a couple of minutes, I was very apparent that he knew what he was doing. I think instead of going through the, the construction, I should come from the south. On the Lick Creek side? On the, on the Crestline Trail, coming from the right. south. Okay. Like heading from south to north, heading towards Box. Okay, well, if that's the case, let me go ahead. If you're going to run up that way, that's fine. And then you can look, text me and let me know, or, you know, hit your in-race device and let me know if you've located her. I can't tell you not to go. I can't tell you to go up there without checking in with our search and rescue. Okay. Uh, so what I can do is I, I, can I, I understand. call Larry and and give him your number and have him give you a call. Okay. I'll have my cell okay. and it'll be on. But I'm gonna come okay. I'm gonna be I'm gonna come from the south across the Crestline Trail. I run up there all the time. I know all the okay. little side trails, I know all the lakes. Um, I'll have I'll have binoculars on me. Um, I'll have my cell phone and my Garmin in reach. Uh, other than that I'm just going for for a normal run. Okay? Perfect. As, as I would have anyway. Okay. He told me that he had a, a Garmin inReach device, which is a 911 dispatcher's dream when it comes to people who go out into the backcountry. Our search and rescue is volunteer. So we have volunteers and they have normal day jobs, right? So when we get requests from the public to come help, we try not to discourage it, but we want to be able to coordinate them with our search and rescue. Because honestly, if you have experience and you have people who know the area, the odds of finding somebody are gonna go up higher. Civilian volunteers show up to help with rescues fairly often in Valley County, but the local search and rescue team tends to discourage sending them out. And they'll never send someone into the backcountry to search alone. But of course, they can't stop people like Jeremy from taking matters into their own hands. Kelly and Jeremy exchanged cell phone numbers and Jeremy promised to check in throughout the day. The area is, is, a, is a high ridge, and most of the high spots around here have good cell coverage. So I would have my cell phone on me, and, and you know I promised to check in with him frequently. So I started in from the south, and the report was that this, this lady likes to hike, and she likes to visit and camp at kind of remote mountain lakes. My strategy was to go from south to north, basically visiting every lake that I could find. Some of them are, are named and, and, and well-known and have trails to them kind of just uh, just off of the, the crest line. And some of them are just, just kind of a bushwhack to get to. So I headed south to north, covering miles, visiting lakes. I didn't feel like it was, it was high likelihood that she would be down that way, but it was possible. It's not like some big expedition for me. It's just what I do. 
I was just doing what I do, and it was just just kind of an, another day. It just it 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 made me a little bit more focused. Well, it made me a lot more focused and a lot more willing to suffer because it, it wasn't just another selfish, you know, endeavor. Like there was there was something great that that could possibly come of this. So it, it kept me it kept me really sharp, really focused. I brought my my lightweight uh, hunting binoculars with me. And I would glass for her, and I would yell her name. And as I got towards the north end, I I kind of sensed that I was in better, uh, more productive area. So I was even more careful and a little bit slower, you know, paying more attention, calling out more often. After a few hours of running and searching, Jeremy hadn't come across any sign of Laura. The next lake is uh, is Heart Lake. Uh, she wasn't there. To the next lake is is. Uh, Brush Lake. So Brush Lake, I felt was was a high, high probability target. Brush Lake used to have a trail to it off the crest line, but it, it had disappeared uh, in in the fire a long time ago. I, I think the the Blackwall fire was '94. So this whole area is is burnt country, and most of the trees are either laid down uh, or they're just standing uh, silver and dead. Uh, like no limbs or anything. So it's just wide open country. Very few trees are standing. Uh, lots of granite, lots of just steep, bouldery kind of talus and, and open country rock, uh, slick rock slabs and that, that, kind of, that kind of country. So I got to Brush Lake. I, I went around the base of it looking for, for any sites, any sign that someone had camped there. I'm a bow hunter, so like I'm pretty good at tracking. I really tried to find any any footprints, any any kind of sign that, that people had been there, and I didn't see anything. We had fish and game on dirt bikes checking the area. We had friends and family were on their way. I think some of the biggest challenges is just trying to coordinate all of those resources together and you know, trying to make sure that nobody's overlapping. Because why search someplace that's already been searched? Nearly 17 miles from the car, Jeremy was starting to feel tired, worn down by the heat, and ready to head home. He started to think about coming back out the next day to continue his search. But then... I just get the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm close. And if I, just, if I just stay on and just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to find her. Like, I've had that, I had that feeling just the entire day. Jeremy describes his participation in Lara's search and rescue as just another routine trail run. But Jeremy's connection to the wilderness and loss goes far deeper. So 15 years ago, I lost my dad in the mountains uh, on Mount McKinley in Alaska. I was there, but I wasn't climbing with him. And that kind of led to uh, me getting back into running uh, competitively, his his real wish for me uh, was to be a runner, and I kind of felt like I was wasting the gift. Maybe the memory of his father drove Jeremy to keep running that day. Maybe not. Either way, he was the right man for the job. I've been around the mountains, and I've I've climbed mountains, and and just existed in the mountains, and I've done so much mountain travel over the years. I, I think. It, it, it felt good to, to have, to apply myself, to apply the skills, and to have a, a, a positive outcome. I just didn't have any doubt. 
I mean, even when, when my wife Brandy told me about it in the morning, I, the first thing I said is, I'm, I'm gonna go find her. I know that land and I know that area uh, for, from so many different reasons, uh, probably better than anyone could, could ever possibly know it. I've just spent so much time up there. I've climbed those peaks, uh, I've hunted there. And, and when you hunt, you, you really just pick, pick the land apart. You, you learn every little wrinkle every little draw, every little wet spot. I could have jumped back on the trail and headed south, uh, and it would have been a 35-some mile day, but I didn't. I kind of got one last ditch effort uh, plan. I, I pulled out my, my map, and I looked for some, like, any kind of like, little obscure blue marks on the, on, the, uh, on the map, indicating lakes that don't have names and little pothole lakes that are that are just kind of, well, they're just, they just kind of dot everything around here. So I needed to get higher. I needed to get right up against the granite walls uh, of the peaks above. Uh, Rain Peak is, it was just above that. And I, I've climbed it and I knew it had like a big granite face on it, but I knew I could scramble up there a little bit. I got up and above 8,000 feet and started kind of going up the, the rampy, kind of broken granite terrain. I just needed to get a little bit higher to get a better look down and, and kind of pick pick a direction that's gonna take me past a couple of these little little blue spots on the map. I got up there and I found one of the lakes and it was it was so perfect. I, I just I thought that should have been it. Like it made perfect sense. I'm basically gonna pick a line taking me from where I was up against the cliffs down to intersect the the trail, the, the Crestline Trail. And then I'm gonna get headed south and I'm gonna get out of there. I dropped a couple hundred feet from that last good lake and I called out and I heard, I got a response. And it was definitely a female. So I, I screamed again and again, are you Laura? And I, I couldn't really see, uh, I, I, I got a sense of where the the, the call was coming from, but I, I didn't, uh, I couldn't see who it was. She's talking, some, someone is talking, but I, I don't, I'm not getting that this is Laura. You know, she's not saying, this is Laura, come help me. So I, I follow that sound. I have to cross like a little drainage, pure adrenaline. I just go downhill and back up as fast as I can because maybe she's disor disoriented or uh, exhausted or proud or, or, you know, for some reason, I'm just not getting that this is the person and this is an emergency. I just start sprinting, like bounding down over the, this, these boulders and open country kind of slopes. It's, it's just loose, rough stuff with, with trees down all over the place. So I'm jumping over the trees and I get maybe 20 yards from her and I see, I see the dog and I say, please tell me, please tell me you're Laura. She said, yes, I'm Laura. The hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and it's it's like you know pure full adrenaline. You know, it's it's over. It's much more serious than than what I thought. Uh, I thought it was a you know one one night exposed to to the summer conditions really isn't isn't much. But spending a week out and not eating uh, all that time can can be plenty dangerous. Psychologically, I think she was she was just fine. Physically, you know, bad things happen when you don't put any, any fuel in for a while. You get electrolyte imbalance and you, your, your brain stops working on you. You get the bonky, kind of dizzy, 
can't do anything. She knew she wasn't strong enough to pick up that pack and get out through the, the, the blown down trees and the, she didn't know if she had to go uphill or down. So I, I think she was just sit down and, and, and wait kind of mode. As soon as she got some calories in her, she started making sense. You know, she, she did everything right. She did have water. Uh, she was by a little tiny swampy pothole lake and she, she said she had been drinking it, filtering it and drinking it. Because at this point, I'm, I'm expecting us to walk out. I've got us at three to four miles only to her car. And, and I, I thought it was, that was possible. Like I thought we could get out of there. So I called the sheriff and uh, I said, I've got her. And they, they just couldn't believe it. They were just thrilled. He called me at two minutes after three and told me that he located her. I wish that he had called me on a recorded line, but he ended up calling me on my cell phone because it was the most exciting phone call I have had. And seriously, like I wanted to go through the phone and just hug him. It was so exciting. They, they told me that a philanthropic rescue, uh, helicopter rescue operation called Two Bear Air w was in the area. And uh, they, they want to do the pickup. I start telling Laura, okay, you know, you need to get everything inside that pack immediately. She had a tent up. She had um, just stuff kind of laying around. It all needed to go in her pack, like right then and there, or, you know, it was going to be gone. It was going to be left behind. We didn't know what, what the timeline was or what was going on. So I just was pushing really hard to get her bags packed and to get her ready, you know, for whatever, whatever came. Sure enough, the uh, the helicopter starts starts coming. She's got really bad sun damage, really bad. Like all, all the, the first layer of skin was gone and then the, the second layer was just like all bubbly, purpley. It, it was pretty ugly. So we got her kind of covered up and I, I put her pack on. We made our way over there. It was about a half mile, a quarter mile or half mile uh, to the chopper. Laura is parked at the north end. So she gave me her keys and if I just ran out of there, I could drive her car back. So I took her keys and I ran out. And yeah, soon soon after I took off, I heard the, the chopper lift into the sky and head south. And they took her and that was it. In the end, Jeremy's specific knowledge of his home mountains and his superior ability to move through them quickly and safely led him to save the life of a fellow outdoor enthusiast. I also tried to get into why, why was she there? I direct a hundred mile foot race that, that runs across that, uh, that runs right through there. I, I just have a, a, a deep knowledge and understanding of, of the crest line and it's, it's big and complex and, and there's lots of possible reasons that you would go there. But I, I think because I've been that person who's doing so many of those different things, I, I, had, a, I had a good kind of catalog of, of things that I could flip through. I have the ability to move through that kind of country kind of at will and, and I do it all the time. I, I'm very comfortable moving in that terrain and I think that's, when it came down to it, that's, that's why I found her. There's some really strong, really smart people on our, our search and rescue operation, um, some of which are ultramarathoners. But th there's, a, there's a protocol and there's a heaviness to, to, to that sort of operation 
Whereas one person or, or you know, even a couple people just flowing over the land without equipment and radios and all that, it just it just feels like it's it's just easier. It felt really natural to do it. You know, I, I'm not part of the the search and rescue operation, but what I what I was able to do was kind of figure out what they were doing and kind of operate on the margins and and the the boundaries of of where they were going and what they were doing. It just all made sense. Like as soon as Brandy mentioned it to me in the morning, it just kind of all spilled out in my mind. Like I could see the whole day. So I I just kind of walk walk that path. He was so humble about it, but based off Jeremy's experience and his willingness, and I would say he was one of the most prepared volunteers that have called into our center and asked if they could help. I wish we had more, you know, I wish, I'm pretty sure that most agencies wish they had more people like Jeremy that would be willing to do that, you know? With everything that's going on in, in the world today, it's 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 good to have a little piece of good news. It could have could have been bad. So I'm very happy with all that I've been through, with all the the the, the way that the, the mountains are kind of interwoven through my through my my life and my my whole family's timeline. It feels good to to have a good outcome. This episode of Out Alive was produced by me, Louisa Albanese, along with Zoe Gates and Sammy Potter. Story editing and sound design was by Wild Acorns Media. Our assistant story editor is Tim Massa. Our script writers were Zoe Gates and Sammy Potter. This episode was mixed by Jason McDaniel from Electric Audio Inc. Thank you to Jeremy Humphrey and Kelly Coperi for sharing your stories and perspectives. If you enjoyed this episode of Out Alive, please subscribe and leave us a review.